Pay your dues and sew your name patch on your jacket. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by your favorite 27-year-olds, it's Pete. And it's PJ. Um, And up top, I thought you said, hey, you dudes. (laughs) (laughs) You said pay your dues. And I was like, that's different than we have done it the last few. I mean, yeah, let's let's not pretend that there's... A, a significant amount of female listeners to a show about the 27 Club, a bunch of old uh, rock musicians. Even There's you know, even two white ladies. So I was gonna say, even even being populated by some very famous women, it still feels like just a bro fest in this club here, the 27 Club fan club. I'm talking about. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, you couldn't have said any. Any time you start talking about classic rock, you're just gonna get a lot of. A lot of bros mansplaining why actually um, that band was slightly better. That's true. And yeah. speaking of classic rock, I want to cut the bullshit, Pete. Yeah, cut the bullshit. I want to get to talking about the Beatles documentary, Get Back. <laughs> right, up, right away. Right up top. This is great. Um, so it's the, it's the talk of the town here. The town crier in our town has been walking around yelling extra extra read all about it Beatles get back documentary out and then he's just handing out transcripts of the like nine hour documentary yeah <laughs> which are really it's a it's a tome e- let me tell you even with small print it's pretty thick yeah it's pretty ridiculous so PJ's actually been reading that yeah and has thoughts I guess yeah not a lot of it's not very grammatical as uh George Harrison would say no, it's um, hard to yeah, it's hard to get like their flowing conversation with all the slang and like interruptions and stuff. It's it's yeah. really hard to read, honestly. It's it's pretty Also, intense. it's hard to read those dang British accents. <laughs> in front of every at the top of every page, it just in parentheses and italics it says in British accent. Exactly. Just so you remember, you know, and then if like an American guy shows up, which I'm not sure if any do to be honest. It might be all think it's all brits Brits. yeah yeah i don't think there are any americans which to Um, i thought peter sellers was like i know he's english but to me in every movie he seems like he's an american guy playing a british guy for some (laughs) reason i don't know yeah i i get that i see that Um, i get where you're coming from but i so i watched it when it came out Mm -hmm. and i am now re-watching it um because is this the fastest rewatch of get back in in history at this point it very well may be the first time man watches nine hour documentary nine hours later starts it again <laughs> um the first time i watched it i was like working on other stuff and wasn't like fully invested and like this time i'm like very invested in watching it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so the first thing i want to talk about is last week you said that um oh so we're leaving that in the episode <laughs> No, 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 We don't have to. Oh, okay. Either way. Um, we talked about it during kind of a, a break. I don't know so if it was... We weren't sure how we yeah. were going to put that in to it, the final episode. If not, I'll give some background. You said that Glenn Johns looked very... Yes. Like, you were like, I recognize him. I had extreme deja vu witnessing Glenn Johns's face, but... I, Is it because he... By lo- all accounts, it's the first time I've ever seen him. He looks exactly like um, the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. Like exactly like I don't know which one they yeah. look the same to me, but he looks I mean, like it's them. Technically possible, I could count on one hand the number of on one hand, 
the number of times that I've thought of the band Oasis in the last like 10 years yeah. and on even fewer hands, the amount of times that I've, I think I've looked at the Oasis brothers. So, yeah, I like the fact that we're calling them the Oasis brothers. Let's stick with that. Um, I mean, that's the whole band, right? But, it's just, there's... it's like the gorillas where they get up on stage and they just multiply the two brothers to play every instrument on an, on an animated screen. You lost me. When you okay. said gorillas, the animal? You don't know the gorillas thing where back in the day, I thought we talked about this it on the show. It was all virtual, man. but. Yeah, they like, the band would play, but then they'd put up a big screen in front of them and they'd yeah. project like the animated characters playing. Right. Kind of like what the new ABBA show is going to be, basically. <laughs> How long you been sitting on that one, Pete? <laughs> uh, just now, but uh. also anytime we get a chance to talk about the new ABBA show, I will, because it's fucking nuts we can get to that after we talk about the beatles and yes please. so i figure it's okay to talk about this because i'm pretty sure paul mccartney was 27 during all the get back yeah stuff. well and he's actually a member of the 27 club because he did die yeah and then they replaced him with that actor yeah but, it's you know. and people think he died in 65 no he actually died in 69 um ironically yeah. from 69 just way too hard <laughs> he got smothered during a 69 yeah. but speaking of paul mccartney Sure. And this is something I'm sure I've said on both the Beach Boys Boys and the Rolling Stone studs. He has the loveliest voice. Like, he has... Yes. And I don't care what anybody says about anything. My opinion will never change on this. He has the best voice in rock music. Like... Yeah. It's I think I, I would I would be with you there. So lovely. Like, every time it he's really just, is. like, not even singing words, I'm like, oh, an angel. Um, yeah. He's also very good at whistling. And my cat's freaked out yes. every time he whistled. Nice. Um, Paul McCartney has that kind of rare, incredible voice where he is he is equally an incredible singer when he's like doing a really soft, like beautiful ballady kind of singing, and then an equally like he's as incredible when he's like totally letting it rip and like almost screaming. Yeah, like and like golden he has slumbers. The incredible phenomenal exactly and very, like, quiet and, and he also has yeah that perfect singer thing where he can switch between both of them like in the same line yeah um like so um, incredible like he can do like an incredible like soft vocal run up into like a scream at the end of like the the melody the live version of i've just seen his face by his wings voices. he does that like i just listened to wings across america this week man phenomenal That's album good pull it really, it's it's a pretty perfect album. Yeah. If you're only going to listen to one Wings album, make it that one. It's, and the movie's great too, actually. Yeah, it's the all good. The movie is it's really good. all phenomenal. And, like, I've been a Beatles fan my entire life and have always mm-hmm. thought they're the greatest band of all time. And, yeah. Um, yeah, this documentary, like, I'm glad that I stuck with that for my entire life, that I was like, yeah, yeah. they're the best. There's no other. Yeah. Um, you don't let the haters get you down. As Howard Kramer says, uh, wearing a Beatles shirt is like wearing a shirt that says food. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Um, I mean, yeah, the, they definitely got to that point, but you're right that it's uh, kind of like the Stones. Kind of like any famous band. That's another thing I wanted to talk about, <laughs> the Stones. Um, sure. So they had a similar documentary, the first one that we <laughs> We're watched. We're in PJ's cranky corner now this is another thing that's been oh, the Beatles shirts 
I mean, I own many Beatles shirts. Uh, as you can see from my decor, I think right now you can see three different pieces of Beatles memorabilia. Yeah. You've got a Beatles shirt tattooed on your torso so that when you take your shirt off, it just looks like you're wearing a Beatles. You're just... <laughs> you got the Beatles shirt where it's just a plain black t-shirt. It's so a, from the a, tops of your arms down to your waist, it's solid black tattoo. And then left skin colored is just the Beatles like logo. Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely worth it. But what was the documentary that the Stones made when they're making the album? Um, it wasn't the one where they're all like shooting up heroin all the time. It was Oh, Gimme Shelter? Gimme Shelter. No, it wasn't yeah. Gimme Shelter. It was the other one, right? Well, Cocksucker Blues was their tour. Oh, Gimme Shelter yes. followed their tour so, of the U.S., but yeah. it also included them recording at Muscle Shoals because right. they did that on that tour. So Gimme Shelter was like kind of similar in that it had like, I mean, it had them touring and stuff, but it also had their like, them yeah at at muscle shoals kind of downtime in the studio yeah, yeah and you know like recording stuff and i honestly watching that i i wasn't bored i was like this is interesting but i wasn't as invested as i am like in this where i'm like mm-hmm. this shit is good because like every time a, a character walks in i'm not like who the fuck is that old british guy i'm like oh there's george martin you know yeah. um so it's just better i mean that's all i really <laughs> that's what it boils yeah. down to yeah, the weird thing with uh, this is an opinion that that is definitely I think just coming from like a real music nerd. But I think the thing that makes Get Back so intriguing is that it is everything. Like yeah. that it is, you know, 3 3-hour episodes of just almost nothing. Like there can be like an hour at a time where basically nothing yeah. quote unquote happens. It's just them sitting around and talking. But like the the total fly on the wall um yeah ness of it is what makes it so intriguing to me whereas like i after watching get back i actually went back and rewatched let it be which i hadn't seen in a long time because get back like incorporated a bunch of new stuff and it incorporated some of the stuff from let it be but i thought or, or but i had read in a couple places that it like also left out some stuff from let it be So I wanted to see, because Let It Be is supposed to be, or was supposed to be like more kind of showcasing them arguing with each other and stuff, whereas Get Back showed some of that. But then also, like at the beginning of the movie, they have something about like, oh, we wanted to show a a more lighter side of the Beatles or like, you know, more of their friendship and working relationship. And it's, it's really great because like it is, it's crazy how they're just four dudes. Like, yeah, yeah, it really is. And how like just normal they are like they're obviously musical geniuses but just watching them let it be is kind of a a different album to be because they were purposely trying to go back to basics and like play songs live without doing a lot of overdubs and so you don't get to quite see maybe the like genius level stuff that they do when they're like doing a Sgt. Pepper or an Abbey Road with a lot of different instrumentation and crazy backing vocals and all that kind of stuff that would be very interesting to see them in the studio too but just how basic it, you know, where yeah. it's like they don't even seem that good, but then all of a sudden, after like four run a few tries, like, oh, they're genius. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but the original Let It Be. Sorry, I just want to finish. No, go ahead. Um, PJ, let me finish. Gonna finish. Um, the original Let It Be movie, though, uh, the prequel to B movie. Um, 
the original one is first of all there's nothing everything that's in the original one is in get back yeah so i don't know where i read several reviews of get back where they talked about how they like left out some of and i think it's just literally reviewers being lazy and not seeking out let it be because it's kind of hard to find Mm -hmm. although um i think it's vimeo or like the internet archive one of those sites that has a lot of videos that are hard to find it's like if you know i'm pretty sure it's on basically yeah it's just not on youtube yeah basically (laughs) and it's not on like amazon prime um so everything every part of let it be is in get back first of all yeah um which i thought was interesting and then also let it be is like solid and it's definitely interesting by itself like if get back didn't exist but compared to get back it's way less interesting just because like you don't see stuff that's like you don't get that the thing and get back where you're just sitting there for so long and like you actually feel like you're in the room because yeah. it's cutting around too much because it's like a 45 minute documentary right um and they fit in and like the last 20 minutes of that is the concert so it's really not that much of the stuff right and actually i take that back just there was a part in let it be that wasn't in get back the i think it's the conversation between there's actually like two parts that weren't in get back the conversation between Paul and George in like the studio, not in the studio, in the warehouse, where they're arguing about George being like, but if, I, if you don't want me to play anything, just tell me to not play anything. I'm happy to do whatever you want. That's definitely that whole part. That's in there. There's like yeah. there's like two sentences in Let It Be that they cut out of Get Back. That's not like super controversial or angry or anything. It's just like that conversation is very slightly longer in okay. Let It Be. And then there's like a three sentence conversation that's not in get back where Paul is just talking at John and John's not saying anything like usual um, about George, but it's not me again. It's not like a mean or controversial. He's literally just like, George seems unhappy. Like we should, yeah. it's, it's sad that George is unhappy. I'm not trying to make him unhappy. And George and John's just not in a lawn. Like, yeah, but you know, shut up. I know it's, that was another part that is like, and obviously I knew all this, but to see like their reactions after George leaves, um, George leaves very mm-hmm. politely first off, uh, where he's just like, I think I'm <laughs> yes. going to go home. See you at the clubs. Like hilarious. Yeah. And then they're all just like, well, I wonder what we did to make him mad. Like, <laughs> And then he they, leaves in a way where if the documentary didn't spell out that he quit was quitting, yeah. you would not think he was quitting. You'd be like, oh, so he'll be back on Monday. Yeah, or whatever, he's going right? Like, right. <laughs> you'll be like, he just got mad and left early that day because yeah. they were annoying him. Well, and then John and Paul talking um, when they're like, oh, I need to, or like, I think we need to like, you know, we need to give a little and like take a little just so like George is happy. And then they're like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. obviously what we should do. It's just like a no-brainer. Yeah. And, like, they they were all just so English about it. It's so funny. Um, yeah. But then that's another part where George brings them all things must pass. Um, mm-hmm. And they, you know, nix it, obviously. But them rehearsing all things must Shit. pass, all four of them, is, like, so incredible to hear. Yeah. Um, and, I don't know, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me that George came to them with, you know, half of his mm-hmm. like one of the greatest albums of all time and they were like eh, yeah let's do yeah. uh dig a pony <laughs> um, it is very interesting it's interesting seeing how many songs that don't come out for years from all their solo stuff they they had kicking around yeah back then um another day by crazy. paul mccartney yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I did not realize that was written that yeah. early. That's crazy. To right. Me. And he has it fully um, fleshed out. Yeah, right. It's pretty crazy. It's also crazy, like, how much they, like, when they're messing around in the studio, they play a lot of their early songs just for fun. Yeah. Um, And they'll play it, like, to warm up and stuff. They'll play, like, Love Me Do and shit like that. Um, And it feels crazy because you're like, wow, that's wild that, like, by 1969, these guys would have even, like, like, because they don't even feel like the same band. So it's, and then you realize that it's only been, like, four years years since they stopped touring. Yeah. Um, even though they've had like four insane albums yeah. come out since it, but it's like it actually it's, it's like it made me feel really good. Really not that much older at all. It made me feel really good when they would do like their old songs or even just yeah. like old traditional ones. Cause I was like, I'm glad that like like as a musician there are songs that I have just like in my back pocket and like even the greatest band of all time does that. Like they're like Yes. Oh, we're gonna do roll over Beethoven right now. Like, let's do it. It's yeah. so nice. Um but then, well, because they're getting back in the groove to like potentially perform for yeah. the first time in a few years. So yeah, they're probably going to their comfortable yeah live the ones songs. they all know and like yeah. rip through. And then uh, timid George slash non confident George is very cute. Um, <laughs> like timid George, where he's just like, well, I don't have to play anything on this. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. And then and then when he's like, what, what uh, he brings um, I'm me mine. And then he's like, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's grammatical. And then. Everybody's like, it doesn't matter, and I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. But he's just like, I just don't yeah. know about that one. And then when they're talking about uh, like songs being corny, but then it's like yes. the greatest rock song ever written because I think they're talking yeah. about. Um, I got a not. I got a feeling. Um, don't let me yeah, it's down. That's one of the Paul ones. I can't remember now. They're talking about don't let me no. down. It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, uh, they're talking about don't let me down, and they're like, oh, it's so corny. And but, yeah. and like when they are doing the backing vocals, it is a little corny. But then they flesh it out to be the best song. Like that is, I think, yeah. my favorite Beatles song, and it's just magnificent. And then they there was I wrote down a whole list of stuff that I was like, this is all hilarious to me. Yeah, um, yeah. They don't have like craft services. They just have toast. No, they just have toast, <laughs> tea, and toast. That's, That's it. Just trays of toast and marmalade. Which is so like. You know, they're the most popular band in the world at the time and still. They can't get better things than toast and they can't get like a decent recording setup in yes, for like right. a week. And George, like they don't eat, like EMI and Apple, neither of them own an eight track. Yes. They have to borrow George's, which is so funny that it's he's really got wild one. that like one of the band members has a better recording setup than a full on music label. Yeah. It's it's really pretty crazy. It's so funny because they just like it's funny that George is like, well, I can lend them an eight track. That's no problem. Um, And then they bring it in the coolest van ever. It's like that white van that just has the Apple logo on the side. No words. Mm -hmm. It's so badass. Um, And then just them arguing about where to do the concert um, (laughs) is is so very entertaining. And then Mal, wow. Paul McCartney is actively trying to write the long and winding road that like, comes up on the piano and listens for like 30 seconds. And he's like, so where do we reckon we do the concert? eh?" <laughs> like he just yeah. does not give a shit that he's writing like the most beautiful ballad of all time. Like it's crazy just to see yeah. the things surrounding what is the greatest album of all time and how like nonchalant everybody is about it. Yeah. It's really weird. Similarly, 
how often like it, it made me it was obviously just the vibe of the studio but it's like why aren't people getting really annoyed at each other all the time because almost every conversation they had whether it was like paul and john talking to each other or like the whole band or the band with like some producers and uh michael Lindsay hogg and ever you know standing around like almost every single conversation at least one person is just sitting there noodling on an instrument yeah the whole time and just kind of staring off into space while they're like kind of listening and like not really giving anything back yeah and i there were so many moments where i'm like how are they not just going like hey would you fucking stop <laughs> like yeah. we're trying to talk to you about this like we have a lot of money invested in this whole documentary that you agreed to do and you're just sitting there on your base like staring off into space not listening and we're kind of trying to talk to you <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's wild. It's, and I think it's because they didn't have a manager at the time, I would guess. I guess. Like, and like kind of same with like, yeah, when they're like writing songs and yeah, just like some random producer will come up and just be like, so we're actually kind of thinking about moving these mics over here. And it's like, why do you think this is a good time to talk to them? Yeah. Like, and then like just, clearly in the middle of something or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. Like in the middle of recording stuff, people will do that too. Yeah. It's like they have no, you know, so awareness odd. of like music. Um, and then after George quits, Paul going up to Ringo's wife and saying, if you learn A7, D7, G7, you'll have the gig. Uh, it's <laughs> I don't like, remember that part. That's really oh, funny. Yeah, he just, it's like a little thing before it like goes into, yeah. I think, like, oh, the band had a meeting on Saturday. It did not go well. Yeah. Right before that, he like goes up to her and he's like, if, you know, if this weekend you learn A7, D7, G7, you got the gig. Which is a phenomenal really joke, funny. but also downplays George Harrison so much. Oh my God, I know. Well, I know, they all just immediately use, you know, their cynical humor yeah. to try and downplay it, on at least on camera. Because um, yeah. John also has the great joke where they're like, well, what now? And he's like, I guess we start dividing up his guitars. <laughs> yeah, which is really great. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, it is so funny... At, when they're at Twickenham, like they start mm -hmm. out and it's basically they each bring their instrument. You, they like, you know, each have a case and then there's like four microphones and that's it. But then mm -hmm. by the end, they only spent six days there or something. Um, but by the end of it, they have accumulated so much shit. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, they have like three pianos then and, you know, fucking anvil and hammer. And they're just like no. everything. They have so much shit yeah. by the end of it that I'm sure they were pissed when they're like, yeah, let's not be here anymore. God, we have yeah, to let's move all of this shit. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, and then these next two things. Oh, no. So, yeah, these next few things kind of tie into the, um, the Stone Studs or the Beach Boys boys. Um, actually, first I want to say Ringo looks and acts like a Muppet the entire movie, and it's very funny to me. Um, yeah, he, you pointed it out to me and I didn't, I didn't notice before, but he is like always being such a goober to the camera. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My cat keeps eating guitar strings. Stop it. God. What a cat. I know. Um, and then, so three things so we can tie or Do you it. have the old school, the really old school guitar strings that are still made out of, uh, intestines? Is yeah. that why? Yeah. He loves these yeah. little fuckers. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is Martin from 1856. <laughs> Got it real cheap. It came smashed. Some guy named... Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Some guy named James Hendricks smashed it up. Well, I, was, I was going for... Um, during 
the Hateful Eight when um, the man with the beard. Kurt Russell smashed that, Martin? I don't remember that. Okay. You haven't heard this story? I mean, I like I've seen the movie, but I don't remember him smashing a guitar in it. So he smashes a guitar mm-hmm. that uh, What's Her yeah. Face is playing. He takes from her, smashes it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a real Jennifer, vintage. Not Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee. Thank you. <laughs> um, so he takes it from her um, and smashes it, and he's like, no playing guitar or whatever. Um, but yeah. they were supposed to swap it out with a prop one because she's playing an yeah. actual mm. vintage Martin that was on loan from the Martin Museum. And he Jesus. grabs it and smashes it, and it's a priceless guitar because it's like serial number three or something. Yeah. Um, well, now Kurt Russell's not in any more movies. Turns out he got exiled to just doing those Netflix Santa Claus movies, which that's are, the only movie he's allowed to do anymore. Which are solid. Let's be real. <laughs> that's my favorite movie. Um, but so these next things tie in. Um, two or three times. John will be trying to mention Nicky Hopkins' name, and he goes, that fellow who's always playing piano. And he's, like, <laughs> genuinely trying to come up with the name where he's like, uh. Yeah. And then Paul's like, Nicky Hopkins? And he's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Nicky Hopkins. Uh, but it's just so funny that he was just like, that That fellow who's always playing the piano. It's like, yeah, yeah you're trying to get a piano player, dude. <laughs> that could be anybody. Um, right. And then the fact that I did not know this, that they went, when they were in India with the Maharishi, Mike Love was there. Mm, that it was the same time. I yeah. didn't realize. I didn't know that they overlapped at I all. I guess I didn't really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. Yeah, it was crazy because he's you know they're showing the footage from India and he's like and then Mike is there, Mike Love, and then it shows a picture of ginger-headed Mike Love and I'm like yeah. holy, I did not realize this was all and it makes yeah. sense because it was all sixty-nine or like you know sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Yeah. Um, well, no, they went in sixty-seven. I mean, but they went up and up through 68. What do you mean? They visited multiple times between 67 and 68. Who? The Beatles? Yeah. I thought they only went one. Like, I no. I mean, George went back, but I thought Paul like, did. the whole group only went the one time in 67. And then, right. well, like, because it was but kind the, of a... But the footage they have isn't from 67 because Ringo's not there. Oh, I thought it was. All right. No. You got me? It's just the one with... It's just John, George, and Paul. Um... And, uh, God, God damn it. Now the cat's on camera. That was, that was a different cat, PJ too. picked it up like a loaf of bread well, and put it down. He kind of is. Um, yeah, that was weird. But then the last thing I want to talk about is Billy mm-hmm. Preston, who, yeah. uh, our man, Billy, the luckiest man in the world, it seems. Um, he, and his, his face says it every time he's on camera. He just yeah. looks excited and happy to be there well, and the f- every second he's there. And the fact they had a conversation about being, or about him being in the band, like mm-hmm. that, I know that slowly gets taken over by a joke, but it seems like when they initially say like, well, maybe we should just get him in the band. They're like pretty serious yeah. about it. And then John's like, well, let's get Dylan too. Like as yeah. if they can't get Billy or something, but like. Imagine yeah. if the Beatles, like, if they continued to be a band in 1969, they're like, oh, also, we've got a black dude in the band. People would have lost yeah. their minds, and also, that would have I been mean, the yeah. coolest move in the world. Like, he they, was kind of a de facto member of the Stones for a bit. Like, I mean, he, but he was wasn't. On, That's he was in thing. like every recording session. The and Stones with them. had such a problem, like a tight, with, like, yeah, saying people are in the band. You know. Yeah. Whereas the Beatles are like gladly going to let this guy in the band, like as a member of the Beatles. I mean, I would guess 
I think they would say that. And then if it came, when it came down to it, I think someone from Apple would have been like, so you realize you have to start splitting the money five ways, right? And they would have been like, he can just be like a studio guy though, right? They might have rethought it a little bit once like it really came down to brass tacks mm. there, but, is my guess. Yeah, that might be right. But That's the whole Beatles thing is that they just think something's a good idea and then someone who actually knows how much money it's going to cost tells them, what it's going to be like. And they're like, okay, so we'll figure out a different way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's also very cool to see the Beatles get their mind blown by a musician. Cause like the second he starts playing on, I don't even remember what song it is, but the second he starts playing, they're all like, holy shit. Yeah. Like how did they already not know he's good? Like, I know it's weird. It, It makes them seem a little, like a little insular. Yeah. In terms of their band, because like obviously it seems like George is kind of hanging out with and playing with a lot of other people. Like, yeah. He like he's was the hanging one who out keeps... a lot with Eric Clapton. Right. And he was yeah, the one who was kept bringing up Billy. Billy Preston. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like he's kind of out in the world, but it makes it seem like Paul and George or Paul and John, especially, are just really like staying at their house, coming to the studio, going back home, and yeah. like just have like no idea. Because like, I think part of what's blowing their mind so much is that like they're trying to do a live band thing for the first time in a while. Cause usually they would just lay down, you know, a overdubs basic and, yeah. track. And then Paul would like go play the piano and then he'd go like add some bass overdub and like they would flesh it all out. So I think part of kind of what's blowing their mind is like for the first time live, they're playing with this fifth member who can do like Paul's like, Holy shit, he can do what I would be doing on piano. Or yeah. Whatever. Like right. while I'm playing bass, it's like there's yeah. two of me or whatever, except he's got his own style that like, especially with like the bluesy rock, like kind of ba- more back to basic rock songs they're playing fits really, really well. Yeah. And so I feel like that's a lot of what's blowing their mind. But again, in a way that makes it seem like have, you guys really haven't gotten out a lot to like realize yeah. that there's it's 1969. There are like a million incredible keyboard players out there who could like Right, you know, and like Billy like, Preston's obviously a talented guy, but like they could have gotten a dozen people who well, would have done a similar thing. And that's the funny thing: the only reason that they had him there was because he. So I've actually heard this two different ways, but they, you know, he like came in to say hi because he was hanging out with George all the time. Right, and then they were like, "You play piano, come in." Um, yeah, just jam with us, and then it ended up being a whole thing. Yeah, but like, if he hadn't have walked in the studio, they just wouldn't have gotten a piano player. I think. Probably not. Yeah. Oh man, cat just knocked something over. Can you leave? This is a d- other cat too. They both it sounded like broken glass on this end. Go away, please. PJ, actually, I hope your mic caught that because it really sounded like like fake a sound real, effects. like a nice yeah fake sound effect of like crash tinkle. <laughs> Let's hope we picked it up. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I just don't think they would have gotten anybody. They would have just been like, well, I guess we'll only right. have two, you know, it's, a bass and a guitar and a, you know. It's way too hard to pick up the phone and call anyone we know. Any, yeah, literally any yeah. human being who plays piano. The Beatles need yeah. you. Deal, I'll be there. But I've also heard that Billy Preston made it his business to be there because he had heard that right. they needed a piano player. And in the movie, it says, like, he knew nothing about them needing a piano player. I've heard it differently, though. Yeah, the movie was weird because I had always heard and, like, in in the couple books that I've read and, you know, just random reading and stuff about the Beatles, I'd always understood that George was hanging out with him a lot 
and purposefully brought like him in it. to yeah. be like a buffer because it was pretty acrimonious and everything. So like purposely was like, let's get like, I'm going to bring my friend in so that we have like another guy in the room. So we maybe stop sniping at each other so much. Yeah. And then it, you know, just worked out and it wasn't even supposed to be more than just literally bringing him into jam for a few days to kind of cool things off. Yeah. But then, yeah, the documentary very much like leaves the, first of all, it doesn't even really give George like that credit credit for knowing. And yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. they just say that like Billy was in town shooting a, like some TV doing, show, yeah, TV special, but it, and it um, barely and says so that he George, by. like the way the movie kind of framed it is that like they hadn't seen each other since Hamburg, but like, right. no, like him and George were hanging out a lot in right. the sixties, especially around yeah. this time, like late 68. Yeah. Yeah. I so I guess, I guess it's one of those stories that like who actually knows, you know, like everyone has a different version of it, but it was really interesting. The documentary definitely did not tell the story that I had always heard basically. Yeah. So, I mean, um, they made it seem like it was a lot more coincidental and or Billy like had an inkling that like, like he was trying to angle himself into the band more than I'd heard before, you know, yeah. which is a little weird, but I don't know, whatever. Um, but hey, maybe that's what he did with the stones too. That could be, just, I mean, Billy Preston's whole career is just trying to get into a different fucking band. Dude, honestly, it, him sitting down and then like playing piano on any song, I don't know mm-hmm. what band wouldn't be like, yeah, you're right. You're a part of us now. Like he's yeah. so, he's the best piano player. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but this, oh, you're going to love this segue, Pete. Billy Preston, who played with Little Richard, which is how the Beatles met him, mm-hmm. played with Little Richard the same time Jimi oh, Hendrix man. was playing. That is an incredible segue. Can you imagine hearing Little Richard live with Billy Preston on keys and Hendrix, Hendrix playing guitar? Yeah. That'd be phenomenal. That would be, yeah. Holy, what a band. God damn. Yeah. And then I'm sure they had a few horn guys too, but I don't know. Sure. And a few horny guys. That's true. Little Richard himself. Yeah. They're all half cocked on stage every oh. night. <laughs> little Richard. That's the little Richard cocked. promise. <laughs> the whole band is half cocked. At least. Half cocked minimum. Yeah. That's right. But well, that's pretty good get back talk, PJ. Yeah. Or, oh sorry. What else? What else did you have to say? Oh no, that was it. That was it. That's okay. why I had this the beautiful segue, segue into Hendrix. Nice. I love it. Well, so Hendrix, speaking of Jimmy, we're going, I guess we're going back in time from Get Back. Um, this is true, yeah. So we're going, yeah, we're going all the way back to 1967, but thankfully we have uh, a Beatles tie-in with Jimi Hendrix during this episode, during this part of Jimmy's Jimmy's history. Um, so the experience after their strong debut in England with those three first three hit singles and are you experienced being a big hit head to the u.s uh in the summer of 67 to make their mark stateside hey pete uh, just real quick yeah i gotta like play some hendrix behind you or something because right now i'm still in beatles mode so i just gotta hear a little bit of hendrix oh, to, you gotta, uh, okay we gotta clear the, palette, the clear the will. slate yeah yeah here let's uh let's do this there we go now i know who we're talking about this will just play under you for a little bit yeah. All right. Sorry. Continue. Um. So they come to the U.S. 
to make their mark. And uh, it's great. They immediately release Hey Joe, and it doesn't even make the Hot 100. <laughs> oh. So, I know. Um, so, they end up, uh, they head to, to the Bay Area, um, the, you know, the, the center of the hippie movement, PJ. If you haven't heard that, oh, and, I, was, um, I was unaware. I thought it was center. Uh, upstate Vermont. You know, it is partially, but um, <laughs> but it's actually also San Francisco. I think I just fell asleep in the middle of that <laughs> sentence. I'm very sorry, guys. I don't know what what the hell just happened. You just got really um, offended because you yourself, formerly living in San Francisco, this is yeah gonna be like the new bit on every show you're in a different place which is i mean have we been fully I know, right? upfront I about the again. actual places but you are actually in a different place this time that's true i am in a different place and it will not be revealed mostly because i haven't thought of a funny joke about it yet okay um so they head to the u.s paul mccartney of the of the beatles fame uh was advocating for them to be on the bill for the Monterey Pop Festival, uh, which we have talked about before on the Beach Boys Boys, uh, who famously do not play the Monterey Pop Festival in it. And if you want to hear that episode... It turns the hippies against them. Yeah. If you want to hear that episode, (laughs) go listen to all of the Beach Boys Boys again. Right, yes. I believe the Smiley Smile episode is where we talk about them skipping Monterey Pop. That sounds right. Yeah, but listen to all. Uh, and I think the Stones, the Stones don't even sniff the pop festival. They aren't nearly hip enough at this point. Um, so Paul McCartney advocates for them to be on the bill. Um, in he even ends up being agreeing to be a part of the like board of directors of the festival just to ensure that the experience get get into the festival. Yeah, which, like, I, I get advocating for a group you like, but that's just like a lot of commitment. In terms of like the Beatles weren't even playing. Like, was he even there? I don't think Paul McCartney even came. You know, like I think. He just no, was... they were so. Yeah. So like, was uh, obviously the being on the board for the Monterey Pop Festival was not that was... much work because I can't imagine Paul devoting that much time to that. But whatever. yeah, I don't remember if it. Was I guess Monterey they could just Pop? put his name on a poster. You know. That's true. Sponsored like, by. Presented Paul by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Presented yeah. by like famous musicians. Yeah. Here's this. Yeah. Festival. Now it just says sponsored by Monster or Vans. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this is really the proto warp tour. Yeah, I don't remember if it was Monterey Pop or Woodstock. I'm thinking Monterey Pop because I think Paul McCartney couldn't leave England because mm. he had a court case coming up for getting busted with weed. And I think so. I think he was. I believe that was Monterey Pop. Yeah. Yeah. So or I think just that. That was earlier. Yeah, their, I'm pretty sure. Their time. Um, that sounds right. So I think that's why he didn't go to um, uh, Monterey Pop. I think he like had wholeheartedly yeah. planned on going, but then like he yeah. couldn't. And it's the same reason John Lennon couldn't go to Woodstock. If, I think he was supposed to play Woodstock, but yeah. then um, he had you know he couldn't leave England for some yeah. reason. Instead, they got John Legend, yeah. and they were like. It's the same guy, right? Like he just he changed his name because he's a solo act now. Um, so at the Monterey Pop Festival, this is where Jimmy lights his guitar on fire at the end of the set. Most famously, he'd done it before 
in the London club circuit a handful of times. Dude. It had kind of become one of his... What what I would have... Things. Fuck, Peter. What I would have given to be there in that moment. I know, right? Same as he, like... He played his guitar with his teeth a bunch, like, just in London clubs and shit. So, like, all the stuff he became very famous for was, surprisingly, like, one of the things he was doing pretty early on. Yeah. The Um, the, the whole guitar playing with your teeth did it at Monterey Pop, so. He is, like, you would expect somebody to not sound as good when they're doing that. But from all of the footage I've seen, it's, like, he's still playing really well, like, playing with his teeth. Well, PJ, yeah. If you look really closely at Jimmy's mouth, almost no pictures of his teeth exist because he actually, on all of his teeth, he had little fingers coming out of them. So they, he was actually more dexterous with his teeth because it was just a million little yeah. fingers playing the guitar, and it was actually better than just the, the five that he had on his regular hand. Little known fact, he went to Xavier School for the Gifted. Um, that's right. He's one of them yeah, that's freaks. Right. Yeah, he was maybe like... Up there with uh, the moist guy from Dr. Horrible, he was maybe the lamest superhero <laughs> power of all time. Is All of his teeth also had little fingers. Yeah. It really only just made him a guitar superhero. Yeah, and that's why he didn't do anything with his power besides yeah. play the guitar with his teeth. Besides become a rock god. Am I, right? I mean, like a hero of one kind, but did he save people's lives? No, I hear he ended a few, actually. Probably not. Yeah, he inspired suicide like all great rock stars. Okay, um... <laughs> So after the Monterey Pop Festival, uh, or the Monterey Pop Festival performance, um, started strong word of mouth for the experience because uh, you know there were a lot of famous groups there, a lot of managers, right. and you know all that. So, um, and you know a lot of music fans, obviously. Uh, and then they got oh, even of further. Who else would be in the audience yeah. besides music fans, Pete? <laughs> They got even further recognition, uh, like from the general public, when the Monterey Pop documentary concert film mm-hmm. came out the next year. So that's you know where he really got famous for his live live performances in terms of people who hadn't been able to see him. So based off the Monterey Pop Festival, they got booked uh, on a five night run at Bill Graham's uh, at the Fillmore by Bill Graham, the promoter in San Francisco. Ah, famously um, known by the Allman Brothers. Yeah, the Allman Brothers, the Grateful Dead, uh, got their start at the Fillmore. I think it was the uh, no, they. I think it was a different club that they were the house band, but the Fillmore was like kind of. We'll talk the Fillmore about was that like on the a home club. <laughs> the Fillmore is like the home club of every big San Francisco band, basically. Yeah. And Bill Graham was the the promoter, who I think he we talked about him on the Stones. He was like kind of involved in Altamont ish, right? So I think he came up on on the Stone Studs. Um, so they get booked as the opener on a five night concert run uh, with Big Brother and the Holding Company and Jefferson Airplane, also on the bill. By the end of the five night run, the order had been shuffled so that they went from opening the show to being the closing band because they were so popular during the hell yeah during the run. Every musician's yeah. dream. Yeah, Grace Slick was so freaking mad. Urgh. Anyway. Um, I wanted to pull the other guy's name though. Who's the guy who <laughs> got punched in the head at Altamont? Oh, um, what the fuck is he? he also has a like crazy name. They I just all never have it. stupid names. Um, I know. I wanted to pull his name though because I like Grace Slick, but it's funnier to make fun of the cowboy hat guy. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is that guy's name? Marty Balin. That's Marty Balin, thank you. 
So they end up closing this show. Uh, they play like a concert in Golden Gate Park, just a whole a whole lot of stuff. Um, and that, you know, gets the experience really famous, at least uh, in this kind of scene. So to help try and promote them nationally, Chaz gets them the gig opening for the new Monkees tour. <laughs> Which uh, apparently came about. Okay, so uh, one of the who's the main guy in the monkeys? David Jones, uh, Mickey Dolans. Okay, no. Oh yeah, Davy Jones also, but Mickey Dolans apparently uh, they might have all been at Monterey Pop, but apparently Mickey Dolans was at Monterey Pop. I just let's stop for a second. You think yeah. Mickey Dolans is the? I'm sorry, is the main guy in the monkeys? <laughs> No. PJ, all I know about the monkeys is then I saw her face and also two he, of their names, Davy Jones and Mickey Dolan. I don't third. know who's famous, who's not famous. Michael Nesmith and Davy Jones are oh, way yeah. above Mickey Michael Dolan. Nesmith. I forgot um, about him. The other one is Peter uh Peter Tork. Uh P- yeah, Peter. It's just Peter. Like you. Um yeah. no, Peter Tork. Um but sure. Mickey Do- Mickey okay. Doesn't matter. It does not matter. I mean, to anyway, me, it matters. The monkeys. Michael the Nesmith's monkeys mother matter. created. Yes, invented scotch tape or whatever. No, whiteout. Whiteout. That's what yeah. it is. Um, liquid paper. Liquid paper. Uh, so anyway, so he saw them at Monterey Pop. Apparently, they were like hanging out at some musician rock star party, like previous to that, and someone was playing Jimi Hendrix, the the Are You Experienced album, and they really liked it. So the monkeys. Uh like reached out you know for them to open chaz said yeah uh and somehow no one put together i mean chaz probably realized but somehow no one put together that the monkeys fans would have absolutely no interest in the Jimi hendrix experience or vice versa there's not a lot of overlap there no there's zero overlap and like apparently jimmy had given in an interview like the year before has this long quote about how the shitty the monkeys are (laughs) That ends with him basically being like, look, like if you like it, that's fine, but it's not great music. <laughs> so that's really fun. I mean, which to be fair, I think the monkeys have always been fairly self-aware about themselves. So like they yeah. probably, you know, like they knew what they were. Like they were just making money playing sugary pop. Yeah. Well, and, and they were created for a TV show. So yeah. And like they ran in the kind of circles. I don't think they would have just you know they like ran in circles with other like famous musicians in a way where like if they did not realize if they took themselves that seriously i just don't think they would have been accepted like into, if like, they the larger, if they took themselves like, as serious community. as like mamas and the papas like if they're like we're See, as but then good. they're making like serious music yeah exactly yeah. like yeah. yeah like i think they had to have realized anyway so however i like the monkeys yeah so last train to the, parksville yeah, yeah. Stuff. No, I mean it's solid music. It's I'm I'm never one to discount sugary pop as great music. No, but P, just at the time, I think there was a stark dividing line between like fake pop rock you, you and basically like, just real, read your unquote, whole manifesto rock. about how the monkeys are <laughs> awful. And I just want to say I don't agree with Peter. Peter saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're the worst. I think you said the worst musicians ever existed. I don't know if I'm taking that out of context or anything. No, those but, are the Archies. Oh, okay. No, Sugar yeah. Sugar's an amazing song as well. Okay, so the experience joins them like mid-tour, um, and they only stay on for seven shows. Wow. 
Wow. Mickey, here's a quote from Mickey Dolenz. Jimmy would amble out onto the stage, fire up the amps, break into Purple Haze, and the kids in the audience would instantly drown him out with, we want Davey. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, he called it embarrassing. Oh, I think he means absolutely. embarrassing for them, like that for they the, invited him onto the, this tour where oh. just I think it was not their scene at all. Embarrassing for the fans. Maybe that too. Um, so, and then according to one thing I read, Jimmy may or may not have flipped off the audience the last night they played. I mean, of course he did. <laughs> yeah. So pretty, pretty weird chapter in their history there for just a, for just a second. Yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. So, but I mean, it exposed them to an audience, I d- whether it raised their popularity at all. I, I doubt it. Although, you know, I don't know. There are probably a handful of people there who are like, damn, let's go check this. You know, PJ, it reminds me of my time, my experience, uh, when I went and saw the band U2 and they had this young up and coming artist as their opener, Kanye West, Kanye West yeah. you know, Kanye, I, I remember he came out, started playing stronger immediately. And, uh, you know, it was just him and an orchestra of women in raccoon masks <laughs> and, and the crowd just started wa- shouting, we want Larry, we want Larry elevation. Um, is Larry a member of U2? And so, yeah, of course. I just know Bono uh, and the Edge. Yes, the most famous member of U2, Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, yeah, I'm starting to see a weird, pattern yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, and so, you know, and it was just, and he quit after the entire tour was over. He said, uh, screw this, I'm done with it. I'm going to go become even more famous now. So, you know, worked out for him. Uh, so they move on. Well, actually a little bit back in time, they start recording their second album, which we're going to go track by track here in just a minute. Just be patient guys. Guys, just a minute. it's patented. You'll hear it. Okay. Look, look, if it, if it's really bothering you that much, you can skip forward, but I pray that you don't because there's so much interesting <sighs> stuff we're going to talk about first. And that's not the only thing we pray about. That's right. Um, so they actually, so they started recording Axis Bold as Love immediately after they finished Are You Experienced uh, in May of 67 before they sense, headed to the States. Because it came out the yeah. same year. Yes, exactly. Um, and then they take a break for their little jag to the United States and then come back in the fall to finish up recording and then it's released uh, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jimmy uh, starts expanding his repertoire. Uh, both songwriting wise and instrumentally, he uh, he is credited with playing recorder, uh, harpsichord, and uh, glockenspiel on Axis Bold as Love, as well as this will surprise you, guitar. Oh, I didn't know that yes. was him on this one. Okay, it is. Yeah, usually it seems like they talked about just like him. They talked about renting a studio underneath the recording studio and then he would sit down there and play and then they'd actually have like a hologram up top that would do the recording yeah. because he was just a little shy about how he looked and he wanted the younger version of himself up in the studio recording the music, you know, because um, he was just he was worried that he looked old, a little too old to be on tour or I mean recording an album. Oh, kind of so, like the Gorillas, Or a different band. Uh, yeah. I don't know a, which one. Um so they uh so they they looked at doing that um which really would have meant that the credit for guitar would have gone to Jimi Hendrix parentheses hologram. Yeah. Um just like that one but, Tupac concert. 
Yes, but he did end up playing. Uh, they just put, instead of just a privacy screen like last time for his singing, they actually encased him in an opaque, like, milky white egg, egg, giant egg. Ah. So, yeah, he just sat in that the entire time that they recorded. They also recorded at a Scientology center. Yes. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, It was the 60s. You know, it's rock stars, as we talked about with the Beatles. Like, you just don't have endless money. So he said, can you commission me a giant egg to play in? And they said, no, we have to go record at a place that already has a giant yeah. egg that we can rent. Yeah. Right. So that's how that works I know you're incredibly then. famous and we have a lot of money, but we just can't do yes. it. No, we can't do it. And it, it, it won't be... It won't be until Spinal Tap that a band can afford their own egg. So, uh, let's see. So, Jimmy, yes, plays several different instruments, including harpsichord, on their next single, Burning of the Midnight Lamp, which uh, actually ends up coming out on their next album, not Axis Bold as Love, but the next album. But it is their fourth official single. So, let's hear a little bit of Burning of the Midnight Lamp. Ah, so that's him playing the old harpsichord. It is. Yeah, the Beatles needed George Martin to play the harpsichord, but Jimmy said, I'll do it my goddamn self. Just bring it inside the egg. <laughs> um, I mean, aren't harpsichords, like, super hard to play? I don't honestly actually know. Like, it, I mean, it's playing-wise, it's just like a piano keyboard. But, it's but I don't know if there's more stuff you have to do. Yeah. I thought it like, was... Like, I don't know if there's pedals, like an organ or something. I thought it had pedals that were more... I don't know. This song is depth? really fun, by the way. I really like the harpsichord on it. It's just a really... It's a really nice song, too. Okay, so no, it's... A harpsichord is does not appear to have any pedals actually and instead really the only difference is that when you hit the it does have two keyboards yeah but when you hit the keys instead of obviously on a piano because it's a if you didn't know pj a piano is actually a percussion instrument it's a member of the percussion family uh because it's a little hammer hits the strings on a harpsichord it's like a little thing that plucks the string yeah so Okay, that's the only difference. Uh, but it but it doesn't have pedals or anything. So no, I guess it's not that much harder. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So this is a uh, midnight lamp. Um. So the release of the album almost got delayed because at one point Jimmy left the masters for side one in the back of a taxi. <laughs> um. Yeah. Don't you miss that? I wish so, people still took taxis everywhere and left a bunch of shit in the back of them. I know, right? So he, um, so they almost were going to have to delay it, but he and Chaz and their engineer, Eddie Kramer worked like, you know, through the night and day to remix the whole first side. Wow. Um, with the result being solid, but they all agreed not as good as the original, which isn't that the case every single time someone like a band loses tapes and has to redo like, yeah. Literally every story I've ever read about that for a band, they're just like, you know, we we made it happen, but it's not the original stuff we had was so good. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, our listeners, if our listeners know of a time when a band lost tapes and had to like remix or re-record and was happier with what came next, then email us, I guess, because I, I mean, there's I don't that know whole if I can come up with a story. There's that whole Taylor Swift thing, but she didn't lose them. She's just re-recording so she can get money. No, right? Yeah, exactly. 
That's kind of a, I get the only thing I could think of off the top of my head was Green Day, uh, around the time that they were recording American Idiot, they had like an entire album recorded. It was all, I forget if it just got like deleted or if the tapes got lost, something happened where the entire thing was gone. They didn't have any of it. And they were like really pissed and depressed for like two months because they thought it was really good. And then they recorded American Idiot, which was like for, I don't, I guess I don't know how general Green Day fans feel, but I would say is their high watermark of musical musicality. And also was like a big step forward musically and like went to new areas, whereas their other stuff was just like a, a, a punk album. Well, yeah. yeah, that was the album where famously uh, the lead singer, Billy Joel, um, mm-hmm. decided to not play piano on this one. Yeah, he decided, look, I'm giving up the piano for a little electric git fiddle. And he's like, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and get a little political. <laughs> like uh, you remember you remember my first foray into politics. We didn't start the fire. Well, this one's going to get a little naughty for all those clowns down in Washington. I'm going to say something about Americans being idiots. <laughs> That's right. Um so, yeah, honestly, email us, beachboysboys at gmail.com if you know, because like every other example, I feel like we've talked about it with the Stones. There's a famous Steely Dan story of them like losing the first mix of an album and having to redo it. And no one is ever happier with the the second one. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's see, during the end of their recording, uh, apparently Jimmy was being a real diva. Uh, Just being a perfectionist, recording lots and lots of overdubs, demanding extra takes, telling Noel like exactly what he was supposed to play and nothing else. Um, Apparently he and Mitch Mitchell kind of started ganging up on (laughs) Chaz and Eddie Kramer, the producer or the engineer, I mean, um, on like things that during the first recording with Are You Experienced, they just kind of trusted like Chaz and just went with whatever he said. But they started, you know, questioning like, well, we could record it like this, right? Or why are we doing it this way? And all that kind of stuff. And just having a say basically in their own recording process. Right, right, right. Yeah. And especially when all three of them worked on remixing the whole first side of the album, Jimmy got like really into the remixing process and apparently kind of had a knack for it. Um so apparently during all of this, the engineer guy was like very chill and fine and just like, yeah, it's, you know, he's a musician, like he's learning, he's really good at all this. And Chaz was getting pissy about like him not listening to him and having more of a say and everything. So it's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things I read that dropped hints. We, we will see next week. I mean, we'll see in the rest of Jimmy's career, whether he and Chaz keep working, but apparently this, uh, caused a little drama between him and Chaz, so... Hendrix to me seems like if he didn't, and this is a spoiler, um, if he didn't pass away at the ripe age, yeah. of, uh, I don't actually know. Um, yeah, I don't know how old he was. We'll, we'll see. Well, we'll I mean, find we'll find out. Next out episode, yeah. yeah. Um, it seems like he would be one of those musicians who's like just an incredible, incredible producer, and is like not necessarily mm-hmm. known more for their production, but has produced like every, like kind of like Jack White, yeah. who is like an yeah. incredible musician in his own right, but then also like is an incredible producer. Yeah. PJ, do you think if Jimi Hendrix was still alive, he would have been a part of It Might Get Loud? <sighs> it would have been, well, I can, let's, the world let's can only hope tar- that it would be, from Jimmy to Jack, it might get loud. I want to hear our dream 
dead or alive. Yes, yes, this is great. It might it get might loud. loud lineup. Pick three, Pete. Let's see. Okay, so I think I gotta go with little Robert Dusty. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, let's see. Let's go, let, but for real, folks, who could ever choose Robert Johnson? What a funny joke. Uh, for real. Uh, I'd have to think about it all. Let's see. And here's here's a caveat. I'm only interested in watching this if it's all of them when they're like 32. And I know some of them died before they were 30. But like, I want them all like in their prime, quote unquote. Like, I don't, right. I have no interest. Right. It Might Get Loud was kind of cool. But like, I don't give a shit about seeing like 70 year old Jimmy Page. I just don't. I want to see him when he's like 30 and is like really an incredible guitar player. Even if he's nonsensical and high out of his mind i mean i still would rather watch honestly him tell he was you still about fucking ripping it on it might get loud but yeah but you know i don't know so i'm gonna go i mean just like my favorite some of my favorite so Jimi hendrix i think would be a great one um he could show you how the teeth fingers you know worked yeah. and played like they could get a macro shot in there a yeah. camera in there and that's what really stopped um, us is that they didn't have cameras powerful enough back in the day yeah that's right it's tough. The it might. It's kind of tough because your, part of what your other two are in it might get loud. Already, no, no. But just like, and I think Jimmy would work with it might get loud because he used a lot of effects, um, and like different amps and different pedals and a lot of recording effects. Because like it might get loud. Part of what was cool is them just showing you their process of how they play and like how they come up with the sounds that they do. Ah, that and was my. There's a lot of great guitar players. Oh, see, that's that was the part that it's drew me because I hate the edge. Oh, I thought that was awesome. That was really fascinating no. to me watching how he made a two-note riff into like a full-on song. It was very cool. Oh, that did not interest me. I just thought, wow, he's not very talented. <laughs> I think he's extremely talented, just in a different way than you would traditionally think of with a guitar player. Wrong. Um. Okay. I'm. F- I don't. I don't even care that there's already a very famous YouTube podcast out there. I'm forcing you to do YouTube next, just out of spite now. Wrong. Um, it's bad. Um, so like Jimmy would be great for that. Like my other favorite guitar player off the top of my head is David Gilmore, but like, I know he does use a lot of effects and stuff, but I just, I don't think he would actually have that much interesting to say about how like his recording process, honestly. So I don't think that would be a great one. Um, I guess Jimmy Page, but again, I I would rather see young Jimmy Page explain everything. Old Jimmy Page just didn't seem like he gave a shit in that movie he just Mm -hmm. like he didn't find any of it interesting still like the edge and jack white at least seemed to find their own process interesting you know in a way where they like enjoyed showing everything off and jimmy just seemed to be at a point where he's like i don't give a shit i'm just here because it made me some money like yeah i'm not my guitar playing isn't interesting to me anymore so and he was kind of what about you who do you have off the top well i've got i've got two different lists in my mind yeah, yeah, yeah. First off, I would love to see, let's go, just spitballing here, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, um, sure. you know, um, Jeff Lynn and uh, Roy Orbison. I think they would be, it'd be okay, really cool interesting lineup. to get yeah, those yeah, yeah. five guys in a room together because like yeah. w- the stuff they would have to talk about. I yeah. just don't even know. And you know, PJ, just a warning, when you get those five together, it might, it might get, get loud. loud. And then uh, my next list, 
Uh, this is like that's, that's less one. guitar players on this next list, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. Still equally interesting as musicians in their own right. Exactly. Uh, this one is uh, Johann Sebastian Bach because oh, okay. I did say dead or alive, and I, you went with sure. just modern players. Uh, Billy Joel, as we mm-hmm. formerly mentioned, and then yes. uh, the lead singer of Skin Row, Skid Row, Sebastian Bach. Um, A group of penis. Well, no, I don't believe penis. Sebastian Bach plays piano. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. Johan does, but... See, I thought you were going to go with the other famous uh, famous group um, that's made up of Meg White, Kim Carnes, <laughs> uh, Kim Gordon, and uh, St. Vincent. Ah, the famous... That we want to get in a... Right. Yeah, that we want to get in a room, for sure. The female traveling Wolverines. That's... I, was, I thought I was setting you up for it, but that's okay. Um... So the album art for the, which we talked about last week, actually, the album art for, uh, for Are You Experienced? Jimmy hated the UK version and so got his, got his wish to get the US version, um, how he wanted it. Right. But the album art for Axis Bold is Love, which is, if you haven't seen it, it's, um, it's this painting of the band and it's like Jimmy in the front and then the two guys, Mitch and Noel behind him, like you know, they kind of like a triangular shaped thing, like Jimmy's facing forward and they're facing the side kind of behind him. And then there's a bunch of like Hindu deities yeah, fanned out behind them in a triangle. Their are all one. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, and it's like this whole, you know, kind of like they're basically inserted into this like um, lineup of Hindu gods. And then it's a very unique i've only ever seen one other one like this although i'm sure more exist but it's a unique gatefold where when you open it like so that where the album comes out is through the side like not what am i trying to say yeah it always so when you're when you're looking at the album um their heads being upright is the spine of the album it's not the bottom part of the gatefold if that makes sense um, so like the place where the album comes out of is, is the side of the picture anyway. So the gatefold though, when you fold out the gatefold, it's a vertical photo. That's all I'm trying to, or it's a vertical painting. Ah, it's not okay. a horizontal one. So like, it's very confusing when you, I, I own a copy. I don't have it with me. Unfortunately, I really wanted to look at it, but I own a copy and it's just like very weird on your record shelf because when you pull it out from the spine first, it it's sideways, you know, yeah. but anyway, so it opens though vertically and the full painting is like they go they're like it's like a full body shot basically of them and all the you know deities fanned out behind them and then at the bottom there's a bunch of I oh. think it's just like Hindu ladies I don't think they're yeah. gods although I don't know a lot about Hinduism I think it's just a bunch of like hot Hindu ladies hanging out at the bottom you know I mean hot is a bit of a stretch I'm looking at it right now I don't know about that but so um Jimmy hated it. The album? Uh, yeah, apparently it cost five grand because they like, so they had to buy a photo of the band and then that was taken by the same guy who took the Are You Experienced fisheye yeah. photo. So they bought that and then they paid a guy to turn the photo into a painting and then they like paid whatever, I assume their in-house team, but like to, they licensed like a Hindu poster with all the gods on it and then like inserted them into it uh for the cover so it cost him a lot of money jimmy hated it 
That's so funny. In, in an interview, I don't remember if we talked about this in the first episode, but Jimmy is like one... I think he would be one-eighth Cherokee. His grandma was half Cherokee. Yeah, that holds so, up. No, he's one-sixteenth no, or one-eighth, whatever. No, eighth yeah. Okay. So um, he has a Cherokee heritage. Um, and apparently in some quote, he said, they got it wrong. I'm not that kind of Indian. <laughs> Which is very funny. And like, I don't know if there were conversations about the album cover because he had another quote with like a different magazine interview where he was like, I really wish they would have done something about my like Native American Indian heritage if they were going to do something like, you yeah. know, put us into like, because he apparently was really into, um, which we'll talk a little bit later about some of like his lyrics. He was really into Native American history and mythology and stuff. And so he was like, they could have done something cool with that, but instead they just went for the 1967 thing and made us, you know, Hindu gods. Um, and like there was so very publicly, publicly mad about it. It's crazy that they probably didn't ask him. No, that is insane to me. Didn't ask him at all. Um, but yeah, and he, yeah, several magazine interviews, different interviews where he like publicly is says, I hate it. We had nothing to do with it. It's stupid. Wow. Uh, apparently people at the time really liked it though. So, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it's like kind of faux surface level psychedelic Hindu, yeah. you know, Eastern mysticism. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, it would have been a big I deal have or it would have been cool at the time. Always hated this album cover. Oh, I think I've always thought it's kind of cool. I will say, like, I obviously feel a little bit differently knowing that, like, he really hated it and yeah. the way that it came about. Um, I always thought it was kind of just fun and, and wild. I love just how over-the-top colorful it is, honestly. Like, it's all totally oversaturated bright red and orange and blue and yellow. So it's just a very cool, just kind of looking thing to have on your shelf, I feel like, compared to some other... Yeah, some of us buy records so. not for the cover, though, Pete. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, you buy it for the music, which obviously this this album is lacking. Um, <laughs> apparently, the album cover was banned in, I think, Malaysia. Ah, uh, because they uh, hate Indians. Yeah, exactly. No, just it because it was like an inappropriate, you know, um, use, use of, of gods. Hindu iconography. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. You said it so, better than I did. Yeah, so it was banned there and is like, kind of controversial but not controversial enough for them to have ever changed it like we talked about with the uk and us are you experienced where like the us one has kind of become the de facto version and same with like the cover for the us one right um is now kind of the de facto cover for that and then we'll talk more about it next week for sure but electric ladyland had i think three different covers and or it had two different covers on release for the US and UK versions. And then there's like a third version that is the one Jimmy actually wanted that like on some re-releases they've either included as like a special edition CD or, you know, like on the digital version, you can like choose which one you put on your iTunes and shit. So, um, yeah, so I did not realize, but all of his albums have a controversy about the covers. So, yeah. Do you know off the top of your head, this is very interesting. Any other, I have one other album that I know of that's a vertical gatefold, like a vertical picture instead of a horizontal one. Um, I'm curious if you know of any. Feels like a thing there should be a Wikipedia list for, but I don't think there is. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm 
There's one that's in my mind, and I don't know who it's by or if it exists or if I'm just like making it up in my brain. Um, yeah. I maybe Tom Waits has one. I don't know. Um, the other one that I know of is there's a live Velvet Underground album from the early '70s that is i forget honestly even what the top half is but like the full thing is like a lady's torso and a skirt and then like her legs coming down um it's like a i think a painting of it but grateful dead grateful dead i believe interesting maybe that was just the inside cover um because when you open it it's a skeleton guy um Mm -hmm. but um i don't know what the what is the cover of that album look like oh dr john's gumbo was the one i was thinking of oh damn um yeah he he's you know wearing a top hat and uh yeah cane on the cover and then you open it and it's his legs um oh okay that was the one i was thinking oh nice yeah i see that uh i i could not think of it but that was the one that was in my brain where i was like i know there's one of just a guy yeah so yeah those are those are probably nice. the only three I would imagine like yeah. popular ones. Doctor John, Grateful Dead, and Axis Bold as Love, which so, I did not know yeah. about this album until you just said that today. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, pretty cool. So yeah, PJ, do you want to take a little break and then get back and and get into our track by track? Peter, I would love that. Love it so much. street you can hear her scream you're a disgrace and she slams the door in his drunken face and now he stands outside and all the neighbors start to gossip and drool he cries oh girl you must be mad what happened to the sweet love you and me had against the door he leans and starts a scene and his tears fall and burn and So castles made of sand fall in the sea eventually. And welcome back to the 27 Club. We're going, uh, we're about to start track by track, uh, talking through Axis, colon, Boldest Love. You know, the colon is what does it for me in, uh, in this title. Uh, I think it'd yeah. be trash without it. I think any... Yeah. Album that has an exclamation point. Yeah. Or a semicolon. Or a colon. Oh, God. Can you imagine an album with a semicolon? Are there any? <laughs> I, d- I doubt it. I mean, probably, but. Um, Some weird one of those Frank's annoying, Apple. wordy people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we're two for two right now on Jimi Hendrix albums having unique punctuation in the titles, so. It will only get less interesting from here. So Axis Bold as Love was released. Uh, it was released separately in the UK and US, uh, but the track listing and album covers were the same. It was released in December so uh, then they 67. Were, they were barely released separately then. 
Well, it was released at different times. Released de- December okay. 67 in the UK and January 68 in the US. And then there were some minor differences with the US version. That's just because they needed time for shipping. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Uh, and so there were some minor differences with the US version, but it's it's the same album. Uh, so okay. it went to number five in the UK and all that work, I guess, in the 1967 paid off in the U.S. because it went to number three. Oh, wow. Higher in the U.S. Yeah. than the U.K. Okay. I know, right? So let's go ahead and get into it. The first track, EXP. X-ray perception. I don't know. <laughs> Back to, you know. Good his, evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Radio Station face. EXP. Tonight we are featuring an interview with a very peculiar looking gentleman who goes by the name of Mr. Paul Caruso and the dodgy subjects of are there or are there not flying saucers or UFOs. Uh, please, Mr. Crusoe, could you give us your regarded opinion on this nonsense about spaceships uh, and even space This is people? the song, in case you got confused. Yeah, I got... You I didn't change stations. Like podcast or yeah. something, yeah. Everything you see in here, can you? Now, if you will excuse me, I must be on my way. I truly thought that was you doing that noise for a second. <laughs> Uh, so this is one of the first songs released to use stereo panning effects, which, yeah, I don't know how much it's going to come through like on the podcast, but if you listen to it, okay, if you listen to it, the album separately, then, you know, you get the noises whipping around from ear to ear, which is pretty fun. And if you drive a 1999 Ford Ranger and one of the speakers is out, you don't get half the song. You're fucked. Yeah. Uh, so the voices at the beginning, by the way, Mitch Mitchell was the interviewer, and then Jimmy, Jimmy I yeah. think, obviously was the UFOologist. UFOlogist. I gotta say, this is the high point of the album for me. I love this song. I think it's very fun and cool. Like it's just it goes on but, way too long. Yeah, it it does go on a little long. Although I think, I mean, it's it's one of those things where at the time, I think it was just such a crazy effect that, like, yeah. no one was really arguing with this cool shit. Up from the skies. And it goes straight into, yeah, up from the skies. Which is 67. That's kind of early for, like, uh, like, it going right into the next song, I feel like. Yeah. I was thinking kind of early for like sci-fi rock. Like that's something that I feel like that's more is a little more yeah. Like when Prague comes around and like even though you get like some psychedelic shit, obviously in the '60s in terms of incorporating different stuff, it just sci-fi specifically and like aliens and UFOs does not feel like a '60s thing to me. So very interesting that Jimmy was into that enough to make it the first kind of couple tracks on this album well peter you know we went to the moon two years after this <laughs> that's true i forgot you mean that studio in la yeah the moon yeah uh from my end i'm not hearing like voices at all in the track i don't know if that's something that can be fixed days 
So yeah, this is a song that's like an alien checking out Earth, basically. It's also interesting because it's got some like proto uh, or like maybe early kind of in terms of wider culture being aware of this, but like some global warming references and stuff in it. And um, it's a pretty interesting song. I I really like this song. I really like the weird like groove of it. I like his like kind of quiet singing the whole time. It's got a it's kind of got a little bit of an ASMR quality to it. His voice in this song. Oh, you got such a boner for ASMR. And I just like like the drum groove, you know, it's just very like soft and shushy and yeah, it's a it's a very weird like first song for an album. Like cuz you kind of want Especially after the intro with like the crazy guitar stuff, you kind of want it to just like kick into like a rock song. But it's very order aside, I like it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> I'm gonna move on to Spanish Castle Magic. Here's really the song I guess I would have expected is the first right song. after EXP, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, coming from that like very feedbacky, yeah. you know, effect, I suppose you could call it. Um, right. Yeah, something like this. Um. This song's fantastic. I mean, so so is Up in the Skies. This song is really great. Uh, kind of along with Purple Haze, is like some very early like headbanging hard rock from the Jimi Hendrix Experience. You know, there's in a documentary about this gentleman who um, he he's a black man, and he goes around and befriends members of the KKK. Um, okay. And like he's gotten. This is I, a documentary now. What? This is a documentary, you said? Yeah, it's a documentary. Okay, um, okay. I didn't know so that, like, Okay, he's interesting. Been, is it Denzel Washington's son is in this documentary? I don't get it. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Oh, like Black Klansman? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, this was... So this is a... Uh, it's a guy, and he's been doing it since the 70s. Like, he met a Klansman, and he was like, I hate them so much. And he's like, well... You know, he's not going to listen from my perspective. Maybe I should listen from his. And then they became friends, and then that guy quit the KKK. And he's done this with, like, I don't know, three or four dozen Klansmen. But he's, like, arguing with this Klansman at one point, and he's like, uh, who invented rock and roll? And the guy's like, Elvis. And he's like, no, Chuck Berry, obviously. And then he's like, but if we go a step further, who invented heavy metal? And then the guy's like, I don't know, Deep Purple? And he's like, no, Jimi Hendrix. Like, you listen yeah. to all that stuff, that's heavy metal. It has all of the... Yeah. It has the recipe for heavy metal, yes. but... Uh, and it, it totally is. It basically has all the yeah. hallmarks. It's just, like, I was thinking, like, Spanish Castle Magic and Purple Haze, if they were recorded, like, one year later, or two years later, kind of, when, like, if Led Zeppelin recorded them, you know, like, on yeah. their first album, that's, like, absolutely just hard rock then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, this song's really very fantastic. I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. <laughs> no, and that's, like, that's the problem with Hendrix. Is like, last time, we barely said anything, like, about the songs. Yeah. 
it's just because they're like so good. We don't yeah. have much to say. This one, I wish there was. Never mind. I was gonna say, I wish there was more like stuff like this, and then it happened in the song. So I'm yeah. happy. This is a good song. Let's get to wait until tomorrow. Oh, the song. Listen to that. Bum, bum. I know, right? I'm standing here freezing inside your golden garden. God, I love this song. It is really, really good. A little bit more pop influence than the rest of, like, I yeah, think right? than any other song we've heard so far. Apparently touring the monkeys. He's like, <laughs> and what if we do that tambourine thing they always do? And then the, like... Mm-hmm. The backing vocals. I love yeah. it. Is that, it is pretty poppy. Yeah. Is that Mitch and, uh... Yeah. Okay. Mitch and Noel. Noel, thank you. I love that, like, bumble. It's just two bass Yeah. Notes. It's very nice. Yeah. A phenomenal song. And the guitar, what does it sound like to me? Kind of Mark Knopfler-y. Mm, like yeah. it, it sounds like Mark Knopfler. Is that how you say his name? I always say Knopfler, but I don't know, honestly. I guess I don't know what I say because I don't say his name that much. But. I don't either. Anyway, Homeboy from you know Dire sure. Straits. Um, it sounds like he. Listened- I don't know if we do want to say any of the Dire Straits guys are our homeboys. Okay, good point. Uh, uh, Mr. Mark, um, yeah, it sure. sounds like he listened to the song and was like, I'm going to do that on everything. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, Jimi Hendrix did it better before. Yeah. What's wrong with the Dire Straits, Pete? I don't know. I guess I just, um... Oh, I'm thinking of that other band. What's Mark, uh, Mike... God damn it, what's the guy's name who sings backup on like all the Steely Dan songs? Um, never mind. It's one of those bands. Michael McDonald? Not Dire Straits, the other one. Yeah, Michael McDonald. What the fuck was his band? Doobie Brothers. Yes, the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers are all like Trump guys now. And are I they? was kind of conflating Dire Straits with them. I'm pretty sure they are. I was kind of conflating Dire Straits with them. Maybe Dire Straits are fine. Maybe they are assholes. I don't know. Huh. I just uh, honestly cannot picture Michael McDonald being a Trump guy. Maybe not him, though, because does he still even tour with them? No, he was only in there for a little bit, too, because he yeah, replaced right. a singer who either, I don't know much about the Doobie Brothers, but who yeah. either died or, like, was just out for yeah. a while. I don't really know. I am almost, like, positive that the new Doobie Brothers, or, like, the current Doobie Brothers lineup, you know. Well, I think like the... a bunch of old, old Republican dudes. Um, so now we're on to "Ain't No Telling." Apparently, Michael McDonald came back for their tour. 
You know what's really helpful? When Wikipedia has the member timeline for yes. bands. I hate when they don't. Um, yeah. He, Ain't no telling I like, but is I don't know. It doesn't grab me as much as the other ones. I can't quite. No, so far it's, I mean, it sounds like it's off the last album. Like with the drumming yeah. and everything, but like maybe right. a like an outtake from the last album. And maybe that's how it made it onto this, but. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it was just an extra, extra song that they had. Although this album, it's 13 songs long. It's only 38 minutes, though, or 39 minutes. So the songs are, are shorter um, generally. But yeah, this one does feel a little bit like it didn't quite need to be on there. Maybe it's only a minute and 50 seconds long, apparently. Yeah, we got 10 seconds left. So now we get into the wind. Uh, Jimmy is playing through a Leslie organ speaker for this tone here. Okay. Um, so Michael McDonald uh, wants you to vote and not for Donald Trump. Oh, okay. That's M- maybe I'm wrong then. That's I mean, a, I know. Me- oh, God. Uh, that's the title of an article. Oh, this song it. fucking rules. Yeah, apparently he had been, there was like a demo of this from like 66 that he'd been working on. And then after the Monterey Pop Festival, it like he finished it up and kind of it like the old song was just about like a hot lady, and then he kind of fused into it like the like hippie culture he was seeing that he really enjoyed, yes. and kind of like melded it into like yeah this whole song so and finished it up. I got in an argument with my former boss because they were super into oh what's that motherfucker's name. Um, he ruined Montana, and, uh, he plays the guitar. Huey Lewis. John Mayer. John Mayer. Um, he was like... Oh, yeah, John Mayer does cover this. No, 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 no. This is... I'm sure he does, but, uh, he was Doesn't saying... He? I thought John Mayer... I'm sure he, he does. That's maybe not... Castles Made of Sand? He covers some Jimi Hendrix song. Go ahead. I'm sure he does. Ahead. He's a piece of shit cover and everything. Um, but we got in a big argument because he loved him, and he was like, no, dude... His version of Free Fallen is way better. And I was like, you're wrong. There's no, there's absolutely no way in hell that like anybody genuinely thinks that. But then um, we got an even bigger argument because he was like, no, the only good version of Little Wing is Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I'm like, yeah, of course Stevie Ray Vaughan's version is awesome, but it's not better than Hendrix's version. Like, I don't know. Um, you can hear the glockenspiel you can, playing yeah. in the back here, the little bells. That's also Jimmy. Oh, yeah, he went to music school, right? Uh, yeah. No, no. No, Robert Johnson. You're thinking of I'm little sorry. Robert Dustin. Yeah. Um, this little wing is, I mean, I guess I've never heard all of Electric Ladyland, so this could change, but this is, at the current moment, far and away my favorite Jimi Hendrix song. It's very and one of my like top five favorite songs of all time. I would say. Really, was this one? It's that one you of the better like... guitar solos I've ever heard. It's one of the most beautiful songs I think ever ever made. It's very it's good. Maybe we'll take a listen to the Stevie Ray Vaughan version after this. Sure. I don't think it's better, but people love it. So now we get to if six was nine. So this is one of the many important differences between the UK and US version. In the UK, they spell out the word six and nine in the u.s they use the numerals ah. if six was nine yes 
I was I was always told if you title something, you're supposed to spell it out. That's right. Um, speaking of six and nine, I just realized uh, in Colorado, every um, mile marker, they don't have a 69. They have a 68.99. That's crazy. This song rules. That's though. almost like I get they do that because they probably got enough stolen that they were like, yeah. we can no longer do 69. But now I want to steal that fucking song. Exactly. Like, you just need to skip it, yeah. honestly. You just need get to not have it. any. Just have 68 and 70 yeah. and don't have a mile marker. Or just have it, but just don't have a number. I don't know. Like Get have a really heavy rock and spray paint it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this song is amazing. This song really rules. Yeah. Honestly, Pete. And I, again, like some proto heavy metal stuff. Yeah. I think by the end of. Like, this is very much like the beginning of. Like, this is like early Black Sabbath kind of heavy metal here. Yeah. I think by the end of our, um, you know, podcasting, as far as all of the bands we've done, I think Hendrix might get the highest score of any band we <laughs> review. Well, it's a little bit cheating because he only has the three albums, but yeah, 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 I hear you. Well, I know, and I'm not saying, like, if the Stones didn't just release five albums, it wouldn't True. be really high, yeah, or yeah. the Beach Boys released He might be the five, highest average, four or five. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be yeah. the highest, I guarantee we'll it. We'll see. Um, oh, this part, wait. Just some, sometimes that, like, little riff up high, like, peeks yeah. through it. It's phenomenal. At some point when we get to the outro, Jimmy is the one noodling around on a recorder. Yeah. See, this is psychedelic music that I hated when the Beach Boys did it. I hated when the Rolling Stones did it. These guys just do it right and well. It's because you've got potentially the best guitar player of all time in the middle of your psychedelic jam, I think, is the difference for you there, PJ. (laughs) That might be it. That's my guess as to why well, you like it so much. I think it's because it's also actually structured as a song. It's not just yeah. like, you know, it's fucking not as free-flowing. bird chimes going off for six minutes. Yeah. Um, I love that delay. Yeah. Echo. Um, Let's skip to then so we can hear the Let's recorder. get to You've Got Me Floating. There's oh, the recorder. Getting, this is the recorder, yeah. All right. You got me floating. Um, another important difference that really makes the U.S. version a collector's item is they, uh, instead of you've got me floating, they have it written out as you've got me floating. Ah, that's how it is on Spotify. Interesting. More crazy studio effects. Dude, Mitch Mitchell is a phenomenal drummer. Yeah, yeah he is. I will say this one, like for some reason the backing vocals make but, it seem very of its time to yeah. me. Like it's it sounds kind of like a very much like just a mid-60s, you know, rock song, but... It's really good. Backing vocals can make or break a song, like, not as far as the quality of the song, but sometimes they just, like, 
were not recorded well. So there's some right. stuff where, like on a lot of Elvis songs, you can, yeah. like, the backing vocals uh-huh. are recorded so poorly. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, sorry. Was Elvis in the room? That was my Elvis, that was my Elvis impression. Oh, uh-huh. that was you? Yes. I thought he was here with me. That was me doing Adam Scott doing Elvis Presley. Oh. Have you seen Big Little Eyes? Nope. <laughs> okay. There's a key part in that show where everyone dresses up as Elvis and does Elvis karaoke, and it's stupid, but very funny, because Adam Scott is definitely funny. has an overdubbed voice the entire time, and it's... They do a funny thing where they do an overdubbed voice, but it's a bad overdubbed voice because they want it to be like his, like it would be an actual person's voice, you know? Yeah. But then it's just like, why not have Adam Scott just sing it then? It makes no sense. Like, was he that bad where they had to get someone who is better but still kind of bad? Anyway. Let's get to Castles Made of Sand. Oh, this song is gorgeous. I actually don't love the intro all that. Like, this part's cool, but... Um, no. I don't like the verses, song... I should say, very much. I really love this whole song. This is one of his most, or at least so far, a very autobiographical song. Yeah. If you're listening to it, it's a lot of, like, you know, him as a child kind of scenery. I take it back. This verse is fine. I just think yeah. the chorus in this song, I guess, overshadows the verse by a little bit. Because yeah. the chorus is so good. I do like, like, it's already a pretty chill song, and I like that the chorus slows, like, quiets down you know it's it's a very cool effect yeah and this is also i think well this is one of a couple songs that's got the backwards guitar going on um this is i would say up there is one of one of the best Jimi hendrix songs as well i would agree top five at the this is a really fantastic beautiful song It's just so beautiful, like, yeah. that a man can, like... There's that backwards guitar solo, yeah. by the way. And that's, see, like, I it's don't like so... backwards guitar, but, like, he makes it work. Like, yeah. he's just so good, man. Which, I know we're not breaking any new ground here. Of course, Jimi Hendrix <laughs> is good, but, like... I, just I don't, don't know, man. I don't want to speak for the world, but I do feel like he's one of those guys where I, I think we're going to have a lot of listeners who have never listened that carefully to Jimi Hendrix outside of, like, the, the ten greatest hits. I know? certainly haven't in a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know Castles Made of Sand is part of his, like, greatest hits, but still. My thing I is think like, a lot of people just take it for granted or, like, listened when they were in, like, junior high or high school and don't revisit yeah. a lot. Right, and it was just, you know, basically Purple Haze, like... Yeah. Um, it's just unfair that somebody can be the greatest guitar player of all time and then also compose yeah. a song like that. Right. It's like the Otis Redding thing where he's like maybe the greatest singer of all time, but also wrote like 12 of the greatest soul songs yeah. of all time. Uh, so that's not rules. So here's She's So Fine, our first non Jimmy 
composition. Noel Redding, yeah. Yeah, sings, wrote and sings this song. This is the one they gave him so that he'd stop bitching about being told what to play. It's strange that, you know, it's the Jimi Hendrix experience that does this album, but on Spotify, it says Jimi Hendrix on all of them, except this one where it says Noel Redding. Instead of just the Jimi Hendrix experience for all of them? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm sure it's something to do with his estate. So, I think this song is fine, except that Noel Redding sounds like he's a 10-cent John Lennon. Absolutely, yeah. Like, everything about this song is fine. It just sounds like, yeah, he he does not know how to sing, except someone said, hey, you kind of sound like that guy John Lennon. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then took that all the way to the bank. Oh, I do, do I? Yeah. This whole thing actually sounds very much like it could have been off Revolver. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Like the backing vocals the are drumming. pretty like mid yeah. mid era Beatles, and the drumming sounds like uh, the one song. What song is that? Whatever. I think that was a James Brown song you were just doing. Yeah, the not or. Er, mm. Oh yeah, this is the worst song on the Beatles. album. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. It's not, and it's not bad. Tomorrow never knows it. is what the drums were reminding me of. Um, well, the guitars are really good though. That's what, yeah. See, it maybe if they if Hendrix sang it, it would have been better. But you're right about Noel Redding. Either voice. if Hendrix sang it or if they got rid of the backing vocals, I think either one of those would have gone a long way toward making it better. You know, for for bands that or have... just get rid of the backing vocals, and then I think I'm fine with it. What other band do you know that's called that like? that the person's name is in the band and they don't yeah. sing every song. Like with the Stones yeah, like, or the Beatles or the Is there a Tom the Petty Boys? and the Heartbreakers song where like one of the, where no. the bass player gets a tune? <laughs> yeah, which, it's really interesting. It makes me player? wonder like, Jimi Hendrix was fairly prolific, but like, I don't, I could not find really a reason why they gave Noel the song. So it's like, were they either throwing him a bone, which is fair. Absolutely. Um, so they were either throwing him a bone. Maybe, honestly, maybe they didn't have enough songs at the moment. Maybe Jimmy's like, this is all I got. And instead of like rushing out another one, Noel had one. So they just went with it. Yeah. Um, it does seem a little interesting that they would have done that. But also, Jimmy seems like the a very chill, nice world. guy. Yeah. And so it really seems like Noel would have brought it up and he would have been like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, let's do it. And then Chaz would have been like, ah, all right, fine. If Jimmy says, <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on one rainy wish. This is a very interesting, like slow track to me. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't really fit on the album, but it's a good song. It is. I don't know. I think it fit. They kind of have been going like back and forth between slow, like fast, slow, fast, slow, no, or at no. least mid tempo. No, I don't think it doesn't fit on the album in that way. I think it just oh, okay. sounds mm. different than the rest of them, kind of. I don't know how yeah. to explain it, but it just doesn't. It seems like it had been recorded separately to me. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of hear that. I got to say, like, this album, the end of this album is really good. But like, <laughs> there's enough kind of 
like what feels like filler songs that this one felt like it got a little lost for me i guess that's fair so it got lost like in a section of filler songs where it's i think much better than that but yeah They love that bass line. Like, I think this is like the third or fourth song that they've used it in. I really love the verses on this. I think I like it better than the chorus, really. I think I, Even I, though, like, the chorus is a little hard, more hard rocking, but... And those are some beautiful guitar lines happening. Like, obvious. I think we don't have to say that anymore. It uh, can just let's be get assumed. to Little Miss Lover. Great drum intro, first of all. Also, Little Miss Lover sounds like a fucking Peter and Gordon song from the, like the name of it, but then it fucking rips. Yeah. You know, um, um, you know, so. Noel Redding to me, he's kind of like our favorite member of the female Trevin Woolberries, uh, Meg White, in that he like he's not a bad bassist, but he's not mm-hmm. doing a whole lot. I think just so he can let the greatest guitarist of all time like do his thing, you know, like or like yeah. Ringo, like he plays the right thing where it needs to go, and that's what the song needs. Yeah. Like, he's not doing any crazy bass lines or anything for the most part. But, like, yeah. the way he's playing bass is so good with, like, Jimmy yeah. and uh, Mitch. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say I agree. I wish I wish he did more, though. And it is one of those things where, like, obviously if he was being told what to play the whole time, that wasn't his choice. Yeah. But, like, I wish... Yeah, I, I wish... Because... When you think of a band like a band like Led Zeppelin, where like the bass player is as good as the guitar player in yeah. terms of like, like John Paul Jones can play either the guitar riff with Jimmy the whole time, or he can, um, Jimmy Page, not Hendrix, uh, or he can confused. like play a different crazy thing, you know, during the guitar lead, and like, it it kind of makes me wish Noel was let loose a little bit more because when he is, like some tracks off Are You Experienced, he is crushing it. On yeah. this album, he is a little more simplified in his bass lines, That's I would true. say, and it's it's a little bit of a disappointment. He's still solid, but just it, it makes no. me wish for more of what we got on Purple Haze, or on Purple Haze, yeah. on Are You Experienced? Because well, there were saying. a couple, I three think, tracks where he was great. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that, and that's what I mean. He's like a phenomenal yeah. bassist that he, like, I know he can do a lot, but, like, the fact that he's yeah. not says a lot about him, you know? Yeah, he was beaten down and told he would be fired the minute he played something Chaz didn't tell him to play. They said they would break his bass. Yeah. We'll break your bass and then break your kneecaps. <laughs> um, so this is the almost titular track, Bold is Love. As much as I love Little Wing, Castle's Mid, as much as I love all the songs, I think I'd never heard this one before, so I think this was my favorite one off this album just because I'd never heard it and it's so incredibly good. 
that okay so i'm gonna say it one more time that guitar is so like they're like boom yeah like it, it just keeps the song driving and it's so good mm-hmm. it's this is another one like you said i wasn't super familiar with such yeah. a good song though it really is like incredible that my Jimi hendrix best of didn't have this on it yeah. <laughs> Like, why but is this not what they play at Jimi Hendrix on the radio, know. you know? Yeah. I love the mellow yellow shout out in the lyrics, too. Really fantastic. I will say, I do like his psych- psychedelic stuff, but I I think the songs I like more are his, like, kind of more blues-influenced ones, like this one, Little Wing, yeah. Castle's yeah. Made of Sand. Yes, for sure. Like the more ballady, bluesy, soul yeah. kind of numbers. Which also, like, I think it gives him more room to just, like, fucking rip on that guitar. Yes. Cause, like, because when it's he's a such a melodic song, guitar player, yeah. you know? Like this solo. Oh, my God. Peter, I gotta say it, and I'm sorry. That solo alone is better than anything the Beach Boys have ever done. (laughs) PJ, I hear you, and I respect your opinion. That's all I can say. (laughs) Um, it's really great. Holy shit, he's so like. Um, it's. I feel so stupid saying it because, like, fucking obviously, yeah, he's good, but. So right here we're hearing the guitar and drums are phased together, which is the first use of phasing, apparently, on a recording. Um, And then also somewhere in this song he's playing harpsichord. He's credited with playing harpsichord, but it's... I I would guess near the end? Yeah, it's kind of buried, or at least... Wait, wait, wait. Got this guitar solo. You can hear the harpsichord in the back. Actually, the guitar solo just got better now that we started talking. Yeah. This is way better than the first solo. Fuck, man. Yeah, that's some incredible stuff. Do you agree with me now? No, but it's incredible. I mean, I would say, I guess, I was aware of Little Wing as having an incredible guitar solo, but, like, when I think of, like, some all-time great guitar solos, I've never really ranked any of Jimmy's solos, you know, kind of in that, in my head. And yeah. this one, Bold as Love, definitely now enters, like, the, you know, top few canon in my head of great guitar solos in any song. So. Yeah. So, PJ Axis, Bold as Love. Uh... PJ, your thoughts. And here we have a man who's an expert on the subject, Mr. PJ Willett. It was good. I always forget if we're supposed to do that or not. I think at this point we have Mr. Both PJ said... Caruso. 
I think we both said our last names plenty of times now, Pete. Um, I that they should be edited out if one of us is doing our job. Well, look, I don't want shit to show up on Google, PJ. Let's see what happens like, well, when I Google. Regardless it. of our last names, there's no way this show shows up. Let's see. I yeah. would be hella surprised if you search if you Google either of our names and this show comes up. But. Um, when I Google your name, there is a um, Team USA hockey. Uh, nice. Dr. Peter Peterson is a physical therapist. Yeah. Uh, uh, something else. And then Christian Brothers Automotive LinkedIn. So PJ huh? is either Pete huh? Willett on Twitter, a husband, father, writer, debut novel coming soon. That motherfucker. There's also a, there's also a PJ Willett, brother of Masters champion, Danny Willett. That's the same, that's the same guy. Before 20... Oh, okay. 16 or yeah, 15. Yeah, that's all that's showing up. When yeah. Before that, if you Googled my name, I was the first person to show up. It was all of my social yeah. media. And then his and brother then becomes asshole. a golfer and he does a few funny yeah. tweets about it. And then yeah. fucking he's the one that shows up. And I even told him at one point, because uh, he wrote a book or something, and I told him on Twitter, I am going to take credit for your next several books. And he said, it'd be a delight. And I was like, ah, he's nice too. Fuck that. Motherfucker. So wait, are those your so those are okay, so those are your thoughts on Axis Bold as Love. What would you rate it? Oh, okay. Okay. Just kidding. Um <laughs> Just kidding, PJ. Axis Bold as Love is good, man. Um I don't know that I've ever listened to this all the way through. Yeah, I probably have a couple of times because like I said, I own the vinyl, but it's been years since I've touched it. I think well, and we'll get into Jim Morrison here soon. Um, Jim Morrison, for me, I loved Jim Morrison in high school. And then, or like, you know, the doors in general. And then I was like, got to college and I was like, you know, I just don't like them that much. And I think with Jimi Hendrix, I thought it was going to be kind of the same trajectory where I was like, loved loved him in high school. And then like, you know, I kind of fell off kinda from listening to him. Yeah. It is That is not the case at all. He is phenomenal and like... I don't know how you could get sick of these songs. Like they are so good. They're so interesting and very intricate. Fuck man. He's good. (laughs) What about you, Pete? What are your thoughts? I, yeah, I'm really impressed by it. I think like we talked about with, are you experienced? I was saying like, it just fell a bit short for me because it kind of just felt like a little bit of like a collection of songs, not to album E. Yeah. And some of the weaker stuff kind of let me down a little bit. Um, this one feels more like an album to me, although I don't know that like the recording and putting it together was that different than Are You Experienced? So yeah, I guess that's kind of an um, ephemeral thing, really. Um, yeah. But felt more like an album to me, felt more kind of connected. And then I, I would just say... Like, maybe it helps that even the hits on this album I've just heard less, except for Little Wing, but, like, yeah. Castles Made of Sand and Spanish Castle Magic, I guess, are, like, the two really big ones. I've just heard a lot less than the ones off Are You Experienced, so it felt fresher. And I I just liked listening to this more. It, it felt more like an album, I guess, in the way that between kind of all the, like, tentpole songs, even if there were songs that were a little less great, um you kind of flowed through the album still. It didn't feel like it got bogged down ever. Um, yeah. And it's one of those where like, even though there's maybe only like five or six really like truly great songs on it, 
Um, yeah. It still feels like a great album as a whole, just because the like lesser songs are, it's just like every other track is incredible. So yeah. Anyway, um, they did what the Stones should have done with their like album ordering. Yeah, it was like yeah, they did sequence sequence it pretty well because it's like yeah, you have Up from the Skies, great Spanish Castle Magic, great Wait Until Tomorrow, like solid but not incredible, and then Ain't No Telling, like it's okay, and then you get to Little Wing, incredible. If Six Was Nine, incredible. You got me floating, it's okay. Castles Made of Sand, incredible. She's so yeah. fine, sucks. One Rainy Wish, really great. Little Miss Lover, like, eh, and then, like, Bold is Love, incredible. So, yeah, yeah, they did do, like, almost just every other song was an incredible one. Um, So, I think, for me, I think all the great songs bring it to a 9 out of 10, for my mind. I agree. I think One it's, better than Are You Experienced. I think it's a 9 out of 10. I'm going to give it the yeah. same as Are You Experienced, only yeah. because they shouldn't have given Noel a song. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's just I not. Know. Very good. If they just took that song off, it would be a contender, I think, because that's the only that's the one truly bad song on it. Well, and like it's called the Jimi Hendrix Experience. I don't want to hear Noel Redding sing a yeah. fucking song. Like, yeah, I don't want to hear Ben Montench sing a song. You know? Yeah, he's from Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. Thank you, PJ. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good callback to a joke I started but yeah. could not finish because I don't know anyone from that band. Oh, I can name them all yeah. and give you the... I think the that's fair. I think, and that, like, it makes sense ranking it for you the same and then for me one up just because, like, I think the great songs on this are just more beautiful songs, kind of. Like, his other songs yeah. are great and, like, great rock songs, but I'm really into, like, the melodic nature of his guitar playing and his songwriting on this yeah. album. Well, and there are a lot... A lot of the songs are slower, like, more ballady, like mm-hmm. you said. Um and I think that lends to, like you said, his melodic playing. Like it, it's it's yeah. there's something about it where it's like it's still these incredibly fast and intricate solos, but like slowing down the rest of the song makes it like I don't know. It makes you notice it more. It makes it shine a little better, you know. Yeah, it's a little less like just hard rock wailing. Yeah. Which he's like objectively great at, but it's phenomenal. Like, yeah. It's a little less of just of yeah that wailing happening and more like thought out solos. Even though I think he thinks it out the same either way, but just when you hear it, yeah, it feels more like purposeful and thought out when it's a when it's a slower song. Yeah. So, um, real quick, would you like to listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan's version of Little Wing? Let's end on a down note. Sure. Just kidding. I'm sure it's great. I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan is good, but he's no Hendrix, man. At least he's trying to do. There's a Derek and the Dominoes cover of Little Wing too, oh, which we should not that. listen to. It's they don't even. Aside from the melody of like the vocal line, they don't try and do Hendrix at all, which I guess is to their credit. But it just makes it not a very good song because the also, guitar playing is what makes it so beautiful. Fuck Eric Clapton, dude. That guy sucks. Except Dwayne was in the band, so. Yeah. Dwayne Allman. Right. I was going to say, except while my guitar gently weeps, his work on that oh. is phenomenal. Yeah.
Like, it's good. So far, it's very good. It's The vocals are gonna make a huge difference as to whether this is good or not, though. And hey, I like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I can't say that enough. I think he's great. I do not think this is a better version than Jimi Hendrix. Wait, does he not sing on it? No, he does not. Oh, then no, fuck this. <laughs> anyway. Well, that has been Axis, Bold as Love. We're halfway through Jimi Hendrix's life and discography. Well, we're not halfway through his life. We're like <laughs> 85% of the way through his yeah. life, 90%. But halfway through his discography, and uh, so far, so fucking good. <laughs> it's, yeah, pretty good. He's I'm calling it now. He's going to have the best average. I mean, yeah, who knows what Electric Ladyland's going to bring to the table. Unless we give the, like, one album we're going to talk about from somebody a 10, then. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's an artist, yeah, who just has the one album and then, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Pete. I'll uh, see you at those crossroads, PJ. And I'll see you when I'm searching with my little headlamp through that purple haze. Dude, did you know sometimes, like one time I bought this weed and it was called Purple Haze. Peter, you said your last name on the podcast and admitted you bought weed? Yeah, but it was pretty funny and it's like the headlamp you're using is probably like searching through all the bong smoke. Boys Boys production. Yeah, you're totally right. You did set me up really well for the female traveling wilburys, <laughs> and I dropped. I it. thought that's where you're going totally, because you. I don't even remember what you said, but you said something that made me think like, "Oh hell yeah." Oh, I said. Oh, well. well, I said the members of the traveling wilburys, and then I. Uh, well, was sure, like, I've got another that. list, and I think that's what. Yeah. Maybe. Fuck! I should have just said the members of. <laughs> That's okay. I missed All out, good. man. I also like that there are five members of the Traveling Wilburys, and we only put four in the female. Well, yeah. I gotta say, I don't really count Roy Orbison. Like, if you die halfway through, yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. That's a that's a fair point.